Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and the raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. Welcome to episode 10, babe. Whoa. Congratulations. You too. Thank you. Pretty wild. Pretty cool. Double digis. Yeah. We're getting old. <laughs> You're getting up there. Little for baby sure. podcast is getting old. <laughs> going to yeah. be a teenager soon. Oh, man. Ugh. It's gonna have to deal with a lot more attitude. Yeah. Getting sassy. Yeah. Speaking of though, um, we wanted to start by just shouting out that we got a couple of really sweet, really nice reviews on Apple Podcasts this week from people that we presumably don't personally know. Yeah. Unless our friends and family are being real clever and putting names <laughs> that we <laughs> that we don't know, but uh really warms our hearts when we Mm-hmm. see these little reviews and see that uh or hear that somebody is getting something out of what we're doing and we're connecting with someone and um to hear that back because this can feel really like you're speaking into the void mm-hmm. um means so much so to those of you who who left these really lovely sweet um generous reviews thank you so much yeah totally made our week mm-hmm and if you want to write a review, <laughs> Elliot will tell you about it at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also before we start talking about the movies we watched this week, and we only watched four again this week, we're, mm-hmm. um, I mean, four is a lot. Yeah. But we're moving. Which is a lot. <laughs> also a lot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, one one or two less than we usually do. Um, but we actually, once again, we did watch five movies this week, but we're only going to talk about four of them. Because once again, we went and saw everything everywhere all at once. As we promised last week, yeah, yeah we um, it was uh, doing a limited run in IMAX, and we're like, yeah, got to go see it. Took three of our closest friends to it, and yeah, it was even even bigger and even <laughs> and even better. It was even more everything, even more everywhere. 
even more all at once. Yeah. <laughs> it was really fun though to um you're you're a little bit more of an IMAX person than I am. Like I'm happy to go, but I'm not like, oh, I gotta see it in IMAX. Yeah, I think like uh, yeah, I'm not I'm kind of on the fence a little bit. Like I'm not like chomping at the bit, like I need to see this in IMAX right out of the gate. But what I what I like about seeing things in IMAX is I like how loud it is. I like that yeah. it like just blows my eardrums. And there's some movies that I like when that happens. Like when we saw the Batman, like it was, yeah. it was very epic, especially like anything with the Batmobile. Like that just like stuck like stood out for me in a big mm-hmm. way. But like this movie has some really cool sound design stuff that I was really excited mm-hmm. to hear in IMAX and and to experience in IMAX and like the visuals. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't expect this to be filmed in like an IMAX aspect ratio, but actually most of it was. And because the movie itself changes aspect ratios purposefully mm-hmm. throughout in different sequences, it made it stand out even more and even more cool seeing it on such a large format screen. Yeah, it was really cool in IMAX. I'm um I think the thing with me is like I'm fine with things as they are until I experience what can be better. Like every time you've wanted to get a bigger <laughs> TV, I'm like, "We don't need a bigger TV." And then when we get a bigger TV, I'm like, "How did we ever watch anything on that small 55-inch TV?" Well, even like when I started buying Blu-rays, you're like, "Why do we need to buy Blu-rays? We have DVDs." <laughs> and then then I throw out a Blu-ray, you're like, "Oh, yeah, this is better." Yeah, and uh, we've been watching a fair amount of things on DVD lately because I've been renting them from the library to save us some money as we move into moving, mm-hmm. which is a costly endeavor. Um, and then I'm like, yeah, this doesn't look as good. It doesn't look as good <laughs> as like streaming services that are in like higher quality or when we get them on Blu-ray. Um, so I kind of feel the same way. I'm like, oh, it was fine. Until then I see it in IMAX. And I'm like, oh, that was cool. But my my beef with IMAX right now is that we're getting really spoiled with so many theaters moving into these like recliner seats yeah. that are like they've got a lot more leg room. Um, the seats are quite wide. So you're even if there is a stranger sitting beside you, they feel further away. Um, well, and like for me, too, um, we used to have to be really strategic about like when a newer movie came out, we knew which theater would be or which cinema within the theater would be playing in. So mm-hmm. we would strategically pick like the second last row because it had the most leg room like. I'm a six foot three person. So if I could avoid being scrunched up, I'll find opportunities to do that. But these new recliner seats are great because like there's ample leg room and allows me to like stretch up and not have to be all scrunched up. In and movies. as a, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting thing because as a five foot two person, sometimes I'm having to be strategic about where I sit to make sure that I can see over the people in front of me. Yeah. Right. So like in the, in the town we grew up in, the theater's, if if there was a tall person in front of you, you you couldn't, I couldn't see. Yeah. Um, and I find that at um the Princess Theater, which I think is still defunct right now in town. Yeah. Um, that just didn't work for me, and I think that's one of the reasons I like our balcony spot at Metro is like guaranteed there's no one in front of me, because um even in just the regular seats like a regular theater at cineplex sometimes if there's a if there's a person your height in front of me i it might be in my eye line yeah um but what's cool with the new recliner seats is the way they're staggered it's not an issue at all not yeah even not when you recline you can barely even see the head the top of the heads of the people because the they've got those railings those cool cool railings <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> I don't know hey, why I think cineplex cool railings cool railings thanks um <laughs> but because of that 
And we've seen so much like the new landmark theater in I don't know how new it is, but the landmark theater in town mm-hmm. has seats like that. And then um, the theater closest to us, the Cineplex closest to us doesn't have any. Um, but we usually tend to see movies there when they're not super busy. Yeah. And we often sit in like the side bucket seats that only have well, they're all the same seats, but there are only there's only two spots there. So there's yeah. no one beside you. But when we saw this at IMAX, yeah. it was not sold out. No. And yet two people bought seats directly beside us and I was sitting on the writer outside edge mm-hmm. and they sat right beside me. And I, I kind of was hoping and thinking that as soon as the movie officially started and they realized there was no one had bought seats to the right of them that they just move over one and, and they did not. Mm-hmm. And it felt um it felt too close. Yeah. And they were kind of getting a little bit manspready. Oh, yeah. They were using the armrest that we shared. I thought it was just like a general agreement in the world that if you're in a seat anywhere, movie theater, airplane, whatever, in a seat um, where two strangers are are at a spot that they share an armrest, that just nobody uses the armrest. Yeah. Um, But the armrest was not only being used, but the hand was extending. Like it was like sitting the elbow on the armrest with the hand straight up and then like over into like my seat. Yeah, that's the worst. And also, I mean, there's there's some interesting odors happening in the theater. That <laughs> yeah, were... it was weird because there was like an odor coming, f- like one odor odor coming from like the right side of the theater, and then a n- completely different one coming from the left. And I <laughs> felt like I was kind of caught in the middle of it. <laughs> I, I think the mixing of those two odors, one which we smelled uh, during a um, bearable weight of massive talent as well, um, <laughs> just like it just didn't it didn't jive. I was thankful for my mask. Um, I'm glad that this wasn't my first time seeing everything everywhere all at once because like between this person who was like really getting in my space, which is just, I'm, I'm a very, um, sensory sensitive person. So mm. like movement, smells, touch, light, sound, I, it just, it can impact me really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can't focus. So like the tapping of a pencil or, um, if lights are too bright, and I definitely like do my best to to cope anyway, but uh, I was I was pretty distracted during the movie, um, so I tried to focus on like our our three buddies and their laughter because that made me really happy. Yeah, for me the only the only thing like I noticed that going on for you, but then the person in front of me was fully reclined in their yeah, seat. Yeah, yeah. So me too. They're the one in front of me too. Yeah. So um, again, my. My big old long legs were just kind of all smushed. But despite all of that, I still enjoyed watching oh, was, the movie. I still cried. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. still laughed. Um, it was still really great. And it was really lovely to get to take people that we uh, care so much about to see a movie that we care so much about, yeah. which is one of my absolute favorite things to do. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. So, yes, we saw everything everywhere all at once for the fourth time. I am sure that won't be the last time. It might be the last time in theaters because we've been really, really <laughs> giving them all our money. Yeah. Um. But we will definitely be, you know, A24, if you're listening, which would be so cool. <laughs> we spent a lot of money on you in the yeah. last month. So if you want to make a really cool edition of everything everywhere all at once, we'll spend some more money. <laughs> yeah. So please and thank you. Please and thank you. Okay. Why don't you start us off with the first movie that wasn't everything everywhere all at once that we watched this week? All right. Sounds good. Yeah. So my first mystery movie pick was a little rewatch that I wanted to dive into, which was the movie Drive from 2011. It's directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, and it was written by 
Hussein Amini and the book he wrote the screenplay and then the book was written by James Salas. Uh, it stars Ryan Gosling as Driver. Um, Carrie Mulligan is Irene. Brian Cranston is Shannon. Albert Brooks is Bernie. And Oscar Isaac is Standard. Um, great. I didn't capture the synopsis for this. <laughs> Would you like me to help you out there? Please. Uh, so the IMDb synopsis is um, an action drama about a mysterious Hollywood stuntman and mechanic who moonlights as a getaway driver and finds himself in trouble when he helps out his neighbor. Wonderful. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Um, why did I pick this? It's just because uh, I we haven't watched this for a while, and I just remember this movie being sick. <laughs> <laughs> like sick, like yeah, hands yeah, out yeah, sick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I just I really I really loved this movie when it first mm-hmm. came out. Watched it a couple times, pretty close together, and then I feel yeah I haven't rewatched it since then. So since around like mm-hmm. 2011, 2012. But what do you think of Drive in 2022? Um, it, I was so it's interesting because I think you watched Drive by yourself a couple times. Mm-hmm. So this came out when we were 21, 22, mm-hmm. which is like Yuck. feels like we were just babies then, yeah. and now we're in our thirties. And I remember really liking it. Mm-hmm. But do you know what I remember about Drive most mm. is the soundtrack. Yeah, it's emblazoned. In my brain, because you used to just listen to it nonstop. That um, real human being—I don't know what it's actually called. Oh, that real, song? Hero, real hero, real hero by who? College featuring Electric Youth. <laughs> <laughs> you used to listen to that song. Like you, you listened to the Drive soundtrack so much when we were in our early twenties. Well, here's the thing: is like, what it did is it introduced me to the genre of synthwave. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And like retro wave music. And at the time that this came out, I worked at the Apple store. And the cool thing, like the benefit of working there is you meet a lot of really unique mm-hmm. people who you can just like, they, they like cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So like you could learn a lot from them. And I was talking with a few of them and I'm just like, yeah, I'm really loving this drive soundtrack. It's just having on repeat. And they're just like, yeah, it's got like really cool synthwave vibes. I'm like, what's that? And then they like mm. brought me into the world of synthwave and all of the different artists. And like, I just, because I love 80s music. We've talked about this before, how I just like grew up with 80s music always playing. And that was, that's what always like strikes a chord with of nostalgia and just like hits me right in the heart. And I just love the genre of music. So when I found out that there's people now creating music in the style of the, and like, what I love about synthwave music is that it's so cinematic too. Mm. Like there's, it's not necessarily just about making catchy pop music or anything like that. It's about creating an atmosphere mm-hmm. and a mood. Um, kind of like similar, like um, M- M83 is a great example of that. Like their music is very cinematic. Mm, I love M83. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say that. I really like that one album by M83 <laughs> yeah, yeah. that features prominently in Mr. Robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I listen to it a lot. Um, um, so, yeah, that was really exciting for me. Um, and this was this was the soundtrack that mm-hmm. introduced me to that. I was just like, oh, my God, this music is killer. Um, so, yeah, um, <laughs> blasted it well, all the and time. And, yeah, that was the thing that made, I'm like, oh, this must be Drive because, like, we listen to it so much. Interestingly, because I also remember really liking this movie when we watched it. I didn't remember a ton about it. I mean, which is fair. It was 10 years ago and like, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of movies since then. Um, totally forgot Carrie Mulligan was in it. 
And like we went through like a real Carrie Mulligan phase where we were both just like mm-hmm. totally in love with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's great. Yeah. Like she's still great. But I, you know, I just kind of forgot that she was in it. Um, and what I really rem- I'm like, there's driving and there's a lot of violence. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, there there is driving, but there wasn't as much driving as I remembered. And while it is violent, it takes a while to get there. Yeah. And I was like, am I wrong about this? So those were kind of the two things I remembered. Um, always so interesting to revisit a movie like at a different point in your life because I felt like I felt like when I watched it the first time when we were in our early 20s I was just like yeah this movie is sick like it's <laughs> yeah it, the, the music is a jam and uh, the driving is cool and the violence is like pretty impressive this time I was much more connected to like drivers loneliness Mm-hmm. and like his um, it feels like his character feels so much and doesn't know where to channel that yeah and like I actually felt a real sadness for his character throughout the film yeah he's just very like closed off yeah and like it seems like decidedly so closed off from everyone yeah in the world like he just he has like the people very immediate to his life, mm-hmm. like that are related to his job or whatever it is. But like that's kind of that's kind of it. And then to see him kind of make a connection with someone and start to open himself up, right? Like it I was much more drawn to that part of the story in a way that I I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm sadly didn't use letterbox at the time so i can't go back and like look at what i thought mm-hmm. so happy that i'll be able to do that now in 10 years be like oh what did i think of drive or i'll just go re-listen to my show <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it's really cool but i don't feel like i was that invested in the character i was just like so um drawn to the style and the just yeah cinematic beauty of the film and the and the, yeah. the stylized violence which like admittedly i really like um I I agree. I agree with you. I think that's a really great insight because I was feeling the exact same way. Like, I think watching it in 2011, 2012, it was very much like an aesthetic thing. Mm -hmm. And now it's more of a think feel thing. (laughs) Very appropriate for our show. Yeah. And I think that that just um, reflects like our like where we are in our lives. But I mean, I think this even happens just when you watch a movie more than once like even if we had watched drive for the first time like last year and now we're watching it again we might have had a similar kind of thing going on because look at what happened with hereditary yeah right like we it wasn't until our third time watching it that we were really connecting with the um the emotional aspect of it and 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 seeing it beyond its its genre and aesthetic and not that we hadn't seen any of that in the initial runs but we were just really drawn to that this time so that's why it's so fun to to rewatch movies. Like I am a person who rereads books and re rewatches TV shows and just like likes to revisit things because I think good art while subjective, good art for me is art that anytime I engage with it I can get something different out of it because I'm at a different point in my life. If I'm getting the same thing out of it every time, that can be good from a nostalgia point of view. Like definitely during the pandemic, we watched a lot of MCU stuff because it was comforting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I was getting anything new out of it. And that there's a place for that too. But, you know, when I think of shows like The Leftovers and, you know, movies like 2001 A Space Odyssey or, you know, just different things that really resonate with me. I really, I really love the book A Little Life. Like 
when I revisit them, there's something different that connects with me because of where I'm at on that particular day in that particular moment. And it was cool to see that I wouldn't have expected this movie to do that. Mm -hmm. And it did. So really cool. And I love watching movies with you. Like <laughs> I, I just, we're just, something has just happened very beautifully in the world where we just linked up and we just, it just gels. And I, I love that we just have the same perspective and kind of approach to I don't, I don't movies know. and movie watching. I First of all, thank you. And I also really love watching movies with you. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know that we've talked about on the show, except in our lost first episode, which <laughs> only a select few people have heard. Yeah. Um, that one of the first times you and I ever hung out one-on-one -on -one, um, when we were in grade 12, we actually met at the movies when we went to a movie with a group of friends. Mm -hmm. Um. But then when we, we and we kind of hung out then in a group a few times and we uh, decided to just hang out the two of us one night. And what we did is we were like, oh, we want to watch Planet Terror. Mm -hmm. And then we like went, I'm pretty sure to Walmart, bought Planet Terror, went back to your house, watched it, talked about Planet Terror after. And then those conversations morphed into just what I think was a multi-hour conversation about our lives that was a springboard from planet terror <laughs> yeah and and that was the first time you and i ever hung out on our own and then I, I remember you saying you didn't make good on it but i remember you saying when you drove me home we should do this every week do you remember that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and i was like oh that's sweet and and we certainly didn't do it then um but we are doing it every week now yeah <laughs> so, you know, See, i'm good i'm good my words <laughs> your words are good they just take <laughs> they just take a while i'm good for it but we did watch a few more movies in our in our grade 12 year like, I, I remember showing you Leon and, um, mm. yeah, we just, we, there was something, something faded, I guess, about. Yeah. Just gels. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Speaking of beautiful. Um, <laughs> I know what you're going to say. So I don't think a lot about Ryan Gosling, but he is truly a Canadian beauty. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. Beautiful man. In the battle of the Canadian Ryans being Ryan Gosling and Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Gosling wins for me every time. I think for me too. Ryan Ryan Reynolds is is also a, a Canadian beauty, but I kind of like I kind of forget about Ryan Gosling because he's a little he's a little bit more like um. There's a lot of fringy stuff. He does. I mean, I, I mean, uh, is it Dead Man's Bones? Is that what it's called? Oh my like, god, it's so good. I feel like he'd be a fun person. He's I think he's kind of a weirdo. Listen, just a quick aside: if you are unaware of Dead Man's Bones, it's just. A, a, a music project that Ryan Gosling is a part of with a choir of kids and they just do spooky Halloween music. As soon as October 1st hits, I'm throwing on that Dead Man's Bones record. But it's also really good. It's very good. Yeah. So I love it. He is a little bit of a weirdo, which I love. Um, Breaker High, Canadian <laughs> Gem. Yeah. Um, so there, the, you know, I think a lot about Rami Malik. I think a lot about um, Sebastian Stan. I do think a lot about Sebastian Stan. I think a lot about Andrew Garfield. Stephen Young. I think a lot about Stephen Young. I don't think a lot about Ryan Gosling. And then he shows up and I'm like, right. You're beautiful. Yeah. Like you. the first first shot in the car, I'm like, he is beautiful. Look think, at that nose. Yeah. I remember one point. You're just like, oh, that's a good nose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Carrie Mulligan is also beautiful. She's not Canadian, so. Yeah. I'm not. Um, Oscar Isaac is also beautiful. Oh, Oscar Isaac is beautiful. This is a beautiful movie. Yeah. Like people, music, style, all of it. The opening scene is so, 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 so good. Like just. So good. 
Like, I think I could just rewatch that opening scene as like a short film over and over again. It's so good. It's what? so like just punches you into the action and gets you into the like the headspace of Driver without him saying anything. Well, I think too, like when we first watched this, I feel like while I did love the movie, um, I think a part of me was a little let down that there wasn't more like car chase stuff. Because mm. I think there's only two sequences of like serious like car chase action. So the opening scene and then the one that's kind of at that like really shocking scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like now, like I'm fine with that. But I and I like how those scenes are those scenes are shot. And yeah, the opening scene is one of my favorite opening scenes of any so movie. Good. It's so good. And it it had it has such a, a control of like atmosphere and tone and and like the cinematography is great. Like you get everything you need to know about Ryan Gosling's character mm-hmm. in that opening scene. And it's great. And it's I one love of, it. it's one of those impressive movies. Um not to really, I don't want to get into the Johnny Depp of it all, but like, you know, in Edward Scissorhands, Johnny Depp does such a great job of acting without dialogue, like acting with his face. Mm-hmm. And like Driver says so few words. There's such little dialogue. And so much of this is told through um, just Ryan Gosling and, and Carrie Mulligan as well. Like her character, I feel mm-hmm. like doesn't have a ton of um, dialogue through the beautiful combination of like how they use their bodies and faces to to portray their emotions and then how the cinematography and the um setting of the scene and and then the score mirror that as well really beautiful yeah like i i actually this time i picked up on so much of the relationship that develops mm. between these two characters, these two characters and Irene's kid that she mm-hmm. has is all built without dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like just through Ryan Gosling sitting on a couch next to the kid watching TV, you kind of get mm-hmm. that like there's a relationship that's been developed here, even if it's off screen, but you you mm-hmm. understand where that relationship is at. And I think that's so masterful of mm-hmm. the actors to be able to mm-hmm. do so much of that heavy lifting without saying a bunch of dialogue. And uh, what I read online is that that really wasn't the original script, like that that developed. Mm. I, I want to say, and I, I'm going to get it wrong, I should have written it down, but I believe it was like, uh, uh, so it's Nicholas Winding Ruffin. Mm-hmm. Um, in combination with Ryan Gosling, they kind of developed this, like maybe there should be less dialogue. And I think that was a really strong choice. I think if this movie had more dialogue, it, would, it wouldn't it would stand out as its own film. And speaking of standing out as its own film, the violence, mm-hmm. dear God, is so good. It's, it's very good. Very <laughs> like, visceral. It is. And I, rem- and I remember it being violent. And I remember I remembered a hammer. Mm-hmm. That's all I really remembered. Yeah, there's a lot of moments that are like... Whoa. And and mm-hmm. I am somebody who like I really is it just like a nasty thing to say I like violence on film? I like stylized violence on film. We've talked about this where I'm like, ooh, yeah. and then as soon as I see real violence, I'm like, whoa, what's wrong with me? I don't like violence. Why Yeah, like there's know, something about the violence in this movie compared to the violence of say like Lane or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um yeah, I agree. There's two things I wanted to touch on. Um and I'll go with the like kind of funny thing. It's just like I I feel like somebody that has a very that has a driving jacket and driving gloves 
that like immediately you hear that and you're like, man, dork fest. <laughs> like, you're kidding me? You have a driving jacket and driving gloves. But in this movie, it's just like so effortlessly cool. Oh, it's so cool. His jacket <laughs> is so cool. And did you did you read that it was he was meant to be seen as like a, a re, like a real life hero? And like the scorpion jacket is his like his. I don't know. What's the like superhero outfit? Is there a better name for that? Costume? What's it called when Spider-Man all of a sudden is wearing his spider suit? Just like outfit dressed up, <laughs> dressed up. <laughs> Spider-Man gets dressed up. Um, but that, that was meant to be seen as like the equivalent of like the spider suit or the like cowl and cape for Batman. Um, and then that also mirrors there's like a, um, a story told about the scorpion and the frog mm-hmm. and, and that there's like it's meant to connect to that too. Re- yeah. Really cool. Yeah, love it. Also, like probably the most popular Halloween costume of 2011. <laughs> <laughs> I'd dress, I'd do it. I, yeah, really cool. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to know, and like I think it's probably one of the main things that sticks out for me in this movie is um, the character of Bernie played by Alf- Albert Brooks. He is probably one of the most frightening villains that I've seen on film in such a subdued Yeah, in an way. understated way where you're yeah. just like, oh yeah, there's a scene in this in this film that I can't believe I forgot about it. But when it happened again, I was just like, oh. He just like, com- he commits something that is so, it's so violent and scary. Yeah. But he does it so nonchalantly that it just, it really like disturbs me. Yeah, there's something just very like second nature and like there's no passion or violence involved in it. That makes it scarier. Like, it's not like I'm a villain. Bah. It's just yeah, like taking a letter to the mailbox. You know, like it's just oh, it's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's very something really upsetting about it, which um, I just want to say, and I feel like this happens a lot where I'm just like, who? What do I know this person from? <laughs> yeah, and I was yeah. like, what do I know Albert Brooks from? And you were like, he's Marlin in Finding Nemo and I was like <laughs> yeah. oh my god yeah but the other thing I knew him from is Paul Rudd's dad in This Is 40 yeah two very not this role movies yeah. um and also you mentioned that you one of the reasons you that this movie was on your mind is because Oscar Isaac is in it and we've watched a couple episodes of Moon Knight and not been super impressed and you were mm-hmm. like I just want to watch him in something where I and we have been <laughs> watching Pedro Pascal Oscar Isaac <laughs> Joint interviews, oh my goodness, they're wired autocomplete interview. If you like either of those men or you just like beautiful, funny things, yeah. um, go watch the Oscar Isaac, Pedro Pascal wired autocomplete because it is adorably funny. So good. Yeah, yeah those two, um, their friendship seems really lovely. It's beautiful. Yeah, I think uh, I, I really enjoyed watching this again. Me too. Yeah. How did it make you feel? So it made me feel both exhilarated like you know the 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 drive driving sequences are like really like heart pumping and and some of the violent moments are too but then like i mentioned just this time around in a way that i don't think i felt the first time around i I felt a real heaviness for driver and a a Mm -hmm. sadness yeah i i uh, i agree with all of that and like i and i love how um reflective and contemplative all of the Ryan Gosling driving scenes are yeah. like it just it seems like there's multiple times throughout the movie where he if he's in the middle of something or seems like he has to go think or just like blow off some steam he grabs his keys and goes mm-hmm. to drive and I like that and because of that this movie makes me feel cool when I drive <laughs> after watching this movie like I'm wow. just like oh yeah driving 
I will. This movie's just a jam. I mean, as long as you're like okay with violence, this movie is a jam. Yeah, very cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. So, jam, not a jam. <laughs> uh, is that a is that a thing online? Yeah, CBC does it. They usually have like people and they play like a snippet of music yeah. and they're like, is this a jam or not a jam? <laughs> they're fun. I we've watched a couple that I liked. Um, so we went and saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. This will be the first MCU movie that we've talked about on the show. Yeah, which is, I mean, I know we've mentioned them, but like, we're pretty all in on MCU. And I know mm-hmm. that that's a divisive thing for some film lovers. Yeah. I think there, there's a rare person who's just kind of neutral about it. Although th- th- that exists for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this just came out this week. It was directed by Sam Raimi. Um, mm-hmm. who you're definitely more of a Sam Raimi stan than I am. And I'm interested to hear you talk a little bit more about it. And it was written by Michael Waldron and he was the showrunner for Loki. Right. Yes. Um, so synopsis, Dr. Stephen Strange casts a forbidden spell that opens the doorway to the multiverse, including alternate versions of himself, whose threat to humanity is too great for the combined forces of Strange, Wong, and Wanda Maximoff. It is starring, if you know the MCU, then... None of this is surprising except for one newcomer. So Benedict Cumberbatch plays Stephen Strange, Dr. Stephen Strange. Mm, PhD. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen plays Wanda Maximoff. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor returns. He was in the first Doctor Strange as Baron Mordo. Benedict Wong, who I quite like. Yeah. Um, he plays Wong. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, did I did I just put the wrong thing? He really plays yeah. the character Wong? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then newcomer Sochi Gomez plays America Chavez. And Rachel McAdams, also another Canadian beauty mm, um, of the notebook <laughs> of the notebook fame, returns. She was also in the first Doctor Strange, and she plays Doctor Christine Palmer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, first MCU movie we're going to talk about um, on this show. What did you think of it? So, I just want to, I want to say right off the bat that everything, everywhere, all at once, coming out a month before this mm. movie really kind of screwed this movie over i think in my eyes i mean i don't know yeah in this (laughs) i got really it just got really quiet (laughs) i don't think that's everything everywhere i think everything everywhere all at once is just a better movie and i guess it's slightly unfortunate for dr strange that a better multiverse movie has already come out but i also think spider-man no way home is a better multiverse movie i like how gently you put that i just like I've, i've talked i've talked with you about this and not to like you know obviously beating the dead horse with everything everywhere all at once but i think i said this to you this week it's just like i'm really scared that now that i've seen everything (laughs) everywhere all at once which i absolutely love it is like in my top five favorite movies um nothing else will ever be good again will i ever see anything good again (laughs) Um, hey you like to drive yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) um i think that my the my main thing with this is that Going into it, I wanted something that was as exciting as Spider-Man No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just wasn't. Yeah. I, I mean, what I'll say is I do. I don't know. I guess I typically do kind of try to get a pulse on reviews and audience reactions to movies before I go see them unless I really know I'm going to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't want to look anything up about everything ever all at once. But if it's a movie that I'm kind of like teetering on the edge about you know seeing what critics and audiences say spoiler free might help me decide if I really do want to see it or not because there's so many movies out there that I've never seen that are new and coming out that I want to rewatch that like I 
I don't want to waste my time on Morbius, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. if everybody had been like, Morbius is amazing, maybe I would have been like, all right, I guess we'll go see Morbius. Mm-hmm. Um, but that did not come to pass. And so thankfully we don't have to watch that movie. Yeah. So I did feel prepared uh, by like looking at the Rotten Tomatoes kind of like consensus. And then we watched the spoiler free uh, reaction video from Real Rejects, which was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of just wanted to temper my expectations. We avoided everything with No Way Home. Yeah. Because we just wanted to go in um, cold on that. So, yeah, I kind of kind of knew what to expect going into it. I didn't. I didn't look up in like with the exception of the real reject stuff. I didn't really look up anything. Well, and that's all I really did, too. I just yeah. I, I read a few things that kind of said similar had similar thoughts. Yeah. Um, positive and and critical because mm-hmm. um, there are positive and not so positive things about this movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah. 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 I like I mean, some things for me, like pacing wise, this movie is way too fast. Yeah. It it really moves quickly and it doesn't take a lot of mo- like, again, you know, maybe it's unfair to continue to uh, compare it to No Way Home. But I felt like, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home does start pretty quickly. Like it it it, it is really fast. Oh, paced, yeah. But then it slows down and yeah. like takes its time with its scenes and lets things develop. This doesn't really do that. And when it's kind of starts to a little bit, then we're moving on. Like, yeah. And we never return to that. And that's kind of been a consistent comment kind of across the board from audiences and critics. And and I agree. I think part of the reason that's happening is this is kind of three people's movies in one. Mm. And yet it's shorter than most Marvel movies. Like it's Doctor Strange's movie. It's Wanda's movie. And it's in some ways America Chavez's movie. Um, Whereas Spider-Man No Way Home, despite having some exciting cameos and some other characters that are relevant, they're all in service of Tom Holland's Peter Parker. Mm. And it is Tom Holland's Peter Parker's movie. He is the central protagonist. He is the, it is his story. Yeah. It is his journey. It's his emotional beat. And this seemed to be trying to split into three emotional arcs. Yeah. That are all there, but just not enough of them are, not because it's splitting three ways, there's not enough time for any of them to be done well. They're all done fine. But to me, none of them were done spectacularly. And I think yeah. if any one of those as the singular focus could have been a really good movie. I agree. I actually found of those three, I cared the least amount about Dr. Strange's. Yeah. I wanted, agreed. I wanted to, I wanted to learn way more and spend more time with America Chavez. And I wanted to like, I love Wanda. So I wanted like, I, I don't like what they did with Wanda know, in this movie. I know, I'm very disappointed in it. Um, I, I just would have liked her to shine in a different way in this movie. <laughs> I say something so so silly <laughs> yes. I, so i hated the show what if i didn't hate it i just didn't care for it hated yeah, yeah. is a strong word yeah i cared more about dr strange's emotional arc in that episode of what if yeah than i cared about him in this and i, I didn't even like what if that was my favorite episode of what if was the dr strange one mm-hmm. and i yeah i uh, yeah. yeah there were so many like i actually i'd kind of when they first you know were when kevin feige does his big thing where he has like his apple what do they call it you used to watch them like it's not a conference it's a oh like a keynote yeah like kevin feige does almost like a keynote where he like lays out the next phase of the mcu and and we watched it several times just the shortened version of it where he talked about multi multiverse of madness and i was so excited for it i was Mm -hmm. like like this was the thing in phase four we're in phase four right 
Yes. That I was so excited about. Like the title is Wicked. Sam Raimi directing it is cool. Knowing that Wanda, who's a character I really like, and this was before WandaVision came out, um, was, was, you know, kind of a central focus of it. I was really excited for it. And then I kind of forgot that I was excited for it. Mm. And then I loved the character of Doctor Strange in No Way Home. He's one of my favorite parts of No Way Home. Mm-hmm. He's like, I liked him more in No Way Home than I liked him in this. I cared mm-hmm. more about him. Mm-hmm. I felt his emotional arc in his relationship to Peter more in No Way Home than any of his connections to anybody in this. Well, and it's so funny because it's almost like they saw that and they're like, we need to we need to pair Doctor Strange with like some sort of kid that he can call kid. Which, and that didn't work for me. Yeah, like him and America Chavez's uh, dynamic. Yeah, it just wasn't hitting the same way at all. No. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was disappointing because I kind of forgot that I was excited about it. And then gearing up to go see it this week, I was like, right, a new MCU movie. And like, No Way Home was so great. I've seen it five times in the theater. Yeah. I'm like really excited to see this. And then, yeah, it just didn't land. And And I feel like it didn't really land for most people because like, We've seen, I think, every MCU movie since Infinity War on opening night. Mm-hmm. And we saw it on the Thursday, like the first day you could go and see it. And it was such a restless theater. There were so many people chattering, whispering, like I just people were not engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the CGI really distracting. Yeah. Again, maybe it's like the the I yeah, I, I watched recently. Um, Warner Brothers dropped a, a, bis, a behind the scenes featurette of the Batman, and what they did for a lot of that. And I haven't shown you this video yet, but like they use huge, like they have a stage, and then they use big LED panels that have footage that they've taken of the of the city mm-hmm. instead of using green or blue screens. So mm. like the lighting of the set is from these screens, and it's it allows them to shoot that on camera so there's a lot more in-camera stuff being captured Mm -hmm. so it feels less so like it's all just being created inside of a computer Mm -hmm. this you you start to you start to see that like Mm -hmm. this this comes through a lot and i don't know like i'm just wondering are we are we getting to a point where that's not i I don't know it it just kind of takes me out of the world of the movie a little bit well we've you and I have been so in on the MCU, like really and truly. And I read a review on Letterboxd. I can't remember if it was someone I follow or if it was just in the in the reviews. So I apologize to whoever this is. If I had it up, I would say your name. Um, where they said, this is the first time I feel like maybe I'm no longer interested in keeping up with the MCU. And I was like, I, I feel that a little bit. Like we have not finished Moon Knight. I haven't been impressed by Moon Knight. Um, like it's almost feeling like, a chore as opposed to a joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's a shame because they are handing off the reins to, you know, new types of directors to tell these stories that haven't gotten a chance to before. And yet I, I you know, I wasn't head over heels over Eternals and I wasn't head over heels over this. And yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on. One of the things that really, really made me disappointed. Well, two things, and I know I'm not the first person to say this. One is it felt like this movie, more than any other MCU movie, wanted you to transfer your emotions from other MCU properties into this. Right. As opposed to doing the work of making you feel that those emotions in this movie 
And they could be heightened if you've seen other things, and that could add dimension to it. It was kind of like if you haven't seen WandaVision, if you haven't been following Doctor Strange and all the movies he's in, if you haven't watched the episode of What If, to be reminded of his relationship with Christine, um, then you're probably not going to feel anything in this movie. And I think that's a failing. Yeah. This is such an exposition-heavy movie. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, okay, well, we expect you to have seen WandaVision, but if you haven't, here's a quick little quick little thing that actually I'd be curious for anyone who hasn't seen WandaVision, like how did it land for you? Um, I, as you're talking there, like it makes me think that I, I like Dr. Strange the most when he's not the main character. I've liked, I liked agreed. him way more like in infinity war yeah. and Endgame and uh, Spider-Man no way home. Yeah. I, I like it when he's a supporting character yeah. more than his uh, standalone movies. Totally. Yeah, so maybe this should have been someone else's movie and he should have been... Make it America Chavez's movie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Or Wanda's, um, like whatever. Yeah. So that was one thing that I found disappointing. I was talking to some students about it who were who went and saw it on Saturday, so I haven't heard what they thought yet, but I was talking to them on Friday and one of them said, like, I just feel like MCU is becoming like a capitalist machine where it's like, if you want to see multi Multiverse of Madness, you have to watch WandaVision, which means you have to pay for Disney+, Plus, right? Mm. And I'm like... I mean, we already pay for Disney Plus, so I don't think about that too hard. But I'm like, yeah, some people are like, I'm not shelling out for Disney Plus. So maybe then I'm not going to go see Multiverse of Madness because I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was disappointing to me is the cameos, the people who show up in No Way Home become such a central part of the movie. Yeah. And the cameos in this are just for like a a gasp or a laugh or a, mm-hmm. a woohoo and then it's done. Yeah. And that was disappointing. Like it, it, this was one of the first MCU movies that felt divorced from the context of the rest of the MCU. I didn't feel the stakes in it. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't feel its connection to other things. What they were trying to do with its connection to WandaVision didn't land for me, especially because there's central parts of WandaVision that are completely left out of this. And I won't talk about it for the sake of avoiding spoilers. But also when the movie ended, I didn't feel like it had any bearing on what will happen in the MCU moving forward. Yeah. Unlike the ending of Loki or the ending of the WandaVision show or the ending of Falcon and Winter Soldier, where I felt like this has bearing on the MCU moving forward. And and I'm excited to see this. I'm like, I feel like I could just like take Multiverse of Madness out and it wouldn't matter. Yeah. It didn't feel connected to No Way Home mm-hmm. and the events that happened there. It didn't feel connected to Loki and the events that happened there. And I expected it to. Yeah. Because those are two multiverse pieces. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, some positives, though. Yeah. I, I, For me, a big positive were just, like, some of the Raimi-isms that exist here. Like, this is by far, like, Kevin Faggy kind of introduced this as, like, the most horror genre-inspired movie that's been in the MCU so far. And there were moments of that. Like, I was surprised with some of the things that yeah. they did. there were some, like, very really cool moments that like if i saw it when i was a kid i mean i know that there's some people who are like really upset about that and they feel like it's not okay for kids but i'm like ah this is the thing that would have been like and you and i've talked about this a lot it scares me but i like it like i don't feel like it's gone too far now granted i'm not a parent so and i think if we were parents we'd be letting our kids watch all kinds of things (laughs) um when they were probably too young too but uh there's a couple moments that I was like, I really liked that. Yeah. From a like 
Sam Raimi haven't seen something like this in the MCU perspective. Yeah, like bringing some horror elements into a superhero movie is just really intriguing to me. And the way they did it here, I think, was really effective. I also love that Sam Raimi has made another movie where a core component of it is an evil book. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's hilarious. Yeah, Um, yeah. um, But yeah, like that was... That that was that was really good for me. Um and like there's like little nods in there um to Sam Raimi's previous work that they weren't afraid to kind of bury. <laughs> yeah. I think most uh most not all of the the younger folks who watch MCU just right. I had a couple heads. students yeah. who were like, What even was that? And I'm like, Oh, let me explain it to you. Yeah. yeah and yeah. they had no idea, which um I, I don't know if that's a good good thing or a, a neutral thing or a bad thing, but an interesting thing for sure. Yeah. Um, but there were some cool Sam Raimi stuff in there. I have a question yeah. before we before we move on. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested in this is a concept that came up when I was in university, and I, I I talk about it a lot with you and people. I just I'm I'm really compelled by it. How pop culture? There's some theorists who suggest that particularly genre movies can reflect the in- cultural anxieties that are ongoing and that when we look back and reflect on them, we can kind of see what the like discursive anxieties of, of a, of a country or, or, or a nation were by looking at like what commonalities exist among, among media. Um, and so, you know, there's been looks at like fears during the cold war, having all of these like body snatcher alien movies, um, vampire movies during the AIDS epidemic I certainly think there's a lot to be said about when zombies started showing up in apocalyptic stuff. There seems to be a real like multiverse moment happening, not just in the MCU. Yeah. And I'm wondering, why do you think we're at this cultural moment where we're so interested in the concept of a multiverse? Like what's going on societally, culturally, that we are compelled by the concept of a multiverse? Um, I think COVID is a part of it. I think that the idea of living somewhere where that doesn't mm, exist. Imagining a world where COVID didn't happen. Yeah. Um, Although many of these were in concept before COVID. It's very true. Um, but I, I also think like it's kind of coming at all of these are kind of coming at a time where we're all kind of questioning, especially generations coming up questioning like, what do I do next? Mm. Or like, who am I happy with what I'm doing right now? Mm. Is there, is there, is there like another world where I'm doing something completely different and I'm happier? Or, or the world is doing something different. Yeah. Or is there a world that I'm I'm miserable? You know, mm. there's like a, a lot of existential questioning of self and who you are, what role you play in the world, I think, that's going on. Do you think that's a result of like eco-anxiety, eco-grief and like just general worry about the state of the world? I think it's that stuff. I think it's like the stuff. I think it's also like the political state of the world and mm. the things that are going on and and um, having them at the forefront because of social media like just is at our fingertips the terrible things that are happening in the world. Yeah. Mm. Like yeah, I think I think it's everything it everything political and like wanting to be able to, you know, it's one thing to go to a movie and escape that, but it's one thing it's another thing to go to a movie to escape that and then the movie itself escapes that Mm. so it's like these degrees of separation from what's going on in real life 
and, and when, yeah. and, and, and like I think that's really I think it's really sad, but I think it's really I think I think it's real. Yeah, I think that that's a lens to look at these movies. But then there's true something you know before we cap off talking about Doctor Strange, <laughs> can't believe I'm going to do this. There's something so beautiful then about how everything everywhere all at once does that. In that I was going to say, but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs> in that it's it looks at that and it names that sense of. I know the Daniels call it too muchness. Like, how do you cope with the too muchness of the world? But also that sense of like existential grief or just like feeling anchorless. Mm-hmm. And it and it validates that, but then ends with hope. Yeah. And that's not what's happening in Multiverse of Madness, I wouldn't say. Mm-hmm. It's an escapism that's purely an escapism where I feel like everything everywhere else wants allows you to escape and then brings you back to reality with perhaps a spark that can help you cope with this stuff in the world in a very real way. Mm-hmm. I wasn't left with that with Doctor Strange. And, and so that brings me to my question. How did this movie make you feel? Um, made me feel disappointed. Yeah, me too. Um, at times it made me feel frustrated. I mm. like Just like the whole concept of Doctor Strange just like makes me feel kind of weird. And mm. I've had coworkers bring up like they won't go see it just for that reason. Like just because of some of the cultural stuff that Doctor Yeah, Str- like the cultural appropriation happening in... Yeah. Both in the first film and in this one. Yeah. So like that that already makes me feel kind of weird about it. Um it made me excited for Thor. Maybe Thor yeah, maybe yeah, Thor yeah. will be fun and good. I hope so. Taika, don't disappoint. Yeah. And then just in the spirit of multiverse stuff, it just made me want to rewatch everything <laughs> everywhere all at once. Yeah, we're not the we're not the first and we won't be the last people to say. And I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is going off <laughs> on uh Oh man. If you gotta go see a multiverse movie, our money's our money is with everything everywhere all at once. How does make you, how do it make you feel? I have disappointed written down. Yeah. yeah. Disappointed. Um, because the MCU literally and emotionally helped me navigate my feelings of ang- feeling anxious, unmoored during the pandemic. Like we rewatched, we did the timeline order. We watched, I think, Infinity War Endgame and the Captain America movies four times mm-hmm. in like that first year. Um, I loved No Way Home. It's one of the things that's brought me the most joy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like let down by the MCU. I feel like they let me down. Yep. And I'm like, well, the, why should I keep investing in you if you're not if you're not firing on all cylinders? Yep. So I feel yeah, I feel disappointed and let down. Yep. Um, What's the next one? Next one, really different, going in a really different direction. I got this movie from the library. Because I was so enamored with Tessa Thompson last week that I uh, was just looking up her, well, you know what else she's been in. And I, I realized that this was a movie I'd been wanting to see because I really, um, I'm really intrigued with the director and, and the one thing I've seen her do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I picked the movie Little Woods. It came out in 2018 and it was written and directed by Nia DaCosta. Um the synopsis, which I like, don't agree with, but I'll read it anyway, mm-hmm. is a modern Western about two sisters who work outside the law to better their lives. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's what IMDb says no, it is. Take I, that with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah. I don't see it as a Western. And also, I don't know how Deb works outside of the law, but. Western in the sense that it might take place in the Western part of yeah, If somebody knows why this is a modern Western, I mean, I guess let us know. But uh, I didn't find a different synopsis. So, yeah. yeah agreed. Take that with a grain of salt. Um, it stars Tessa Thompson, uh, the person who I'm currently in love with, other Ooh. than Elliot, um, who plays Ollie or Oleander, uh, Lily James, who plays Deb, 
Luke Kirby, and I think we'll have to talk a little bit about where we know him from, who plays Bill, James Badge Dale as Ian, and Lance Reddick as Carter. So what did you think of this movie? So this movie was not on my radar at all. I had, I had never heard of it, and there's no title card until the very <laughs> yeah, end. Yeah, I had to tell you what it was yeah, called, yeah, yeah. and then you were like, I've never heard of it. Well, I got really excited because I saw Tessa T show up on the screen, yeah. and I was like, oh, damn, what like, what is this? Um, yeah, so I had no context for what this movie was about. Um, yeah, I think after you told me the title, I think you also told me it was made by Nia DaCosta. Yeah, and so Nia DaCosta made the new Candyman. Which we love. We really liked. I know that there were some people who didn't like it as much as us. And like, I get it because I had kind of expected the new Candyman to be one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And it isn't. No. But I still really liked it. Yeah. And it made me really, I mean, she's a fairly new feature filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I unless I've got it wrong, she's only done these two features. And then she's going to be making Marvels. So um, Captain Marvel 2. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Which is awesome. Like what a step, like yeah. what a series of stepping stones to And to three get. very different types of movies. Yeah. Um, but so so I wanted to see this both because Nia DaCosta made it and I liked Candyman a lot. And when we saw Candyman, my thought was I'm excited to see what she does next because I mm. only think she'll get stronger and I see so much strength in this movie. Um, this is a much more subdued, much more realism, like um slice of life. Mm-hmm. intimate movie than Candyman is. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually didn't know that this movie had a very prominent subplot about uh, pregnancy and um, women's choices when it comes to pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Very timely. Very timely. I didn't know that when I picked it. I literally was like, Tessa Thompson is very beautiful. <laughs> I think I'll pick this movie. <laughs> Nia DaCosta made it, and I think I, I like her. I like the pretty lady. <laughs> I like the pretty lady. Um, yeah, I think what this movie did really well tonally, like it just it made me feel like the struggle and the weight mm-hmm. of all the decisions and actions of the characters. Like it felt well, yeah. I think you said it was a kind of subdued, mm-hmm. but it felt like like there were real stakes. Yeah. Yeah. Something I thought of is it was bleak, but not bleak in like a, the way Prisoners is bleak or the Batman is bleak. It was like a real life bleakness when like, yeah. what do you do when you're there's a, so there's a line in the movie and I, and I don't believe this is a spoiler at all, but there's a line in the movie where someone says your choices are only as good as your options. Mm-hmm. And this movie explores that. And I think that's such an important thing to explore for people who have had a lot of privilege in their lives and we have um but particularly people who you know kind of just think pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just do better and just do differently i think this movie really beautifully sadly heavily explores well you can only make the choices that are available to you Mm -hmm. and the systems that are in place that existed before you and will exist after you those limit your choices depending on who you are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I f- there's a sense of, you know, this movie takes place in kind of an oil-booming town, mm-hmm. um, which is such a part of life in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we ha- have people in our lives who've worked in the oil fields. We don't live in Fort McMurray or, like, a place like that, but this felt like a place that exists in our province. Yeah. And, you know, economically, that's been such a topic of conversation about how oil impacts economics and and job prospects and um 
the wellness of cities and towns Mm -hmm. for the last, like my whole life, I feel like that's been a topic of conversation and seeing that reflected in film, even though it's not set in Canada was really interesting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I like another thing too, that it just like, it, it definitely, it like the subject matter of this movie just kind of like hits a little bit harder just because of the state of the world and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, just because, um, uh, Tessa Thompson's character of Ollie is a person who is out on parole and their parole is almost up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this movie really highlights just how the world is really not open to giving opportunities and affording like any sort of benefit to people who have served time in jail mm-hmm. or are out on parole. And then that, like we see in the movie kind of leads to recidivism and, mm-hmm. I think that that's just something that a lot of us kind of just like throw to the back of our mind and Mm -hmm. don't really think about, but it's just in this movie, it does a really great job of highlighting the struggle and the reality of dealing and coping with those, with, with that sort of just state of being. I feel like it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting paired film with good time. Yeah, Because I think that they both explore two different types of people Mm -hmm. who are, you know, move, trying to make their lives meaningful moving forward from, from time in jail, um, in very different ways. But both films explore the limited options available to people once the system has entered their lives. Mm -hmm. Now, what I think I've known, because Candyman is so different from Little Woods, Mm -hmm. and I expect Marvels to be so different from Candyman and Little Woods. But what I noticed in both Candyman and this is that Nia DaCosta grounds her films in the systems that are impacting her characters. Yeah. That that's the central focus. Mm. So in this, it's the economic systems mm-hmm. and the prison system. Yeah. Um, but really the economic system. Mm-hmm. How class, money, all of those things impact the available choices for Deb and Ollie. Um, and then Candyman, of course, is so grounded in uh race but also economics right like yeah. Candyman is looking at um why have i lost the word um what's the word when like uh, parts of a city get uh gentrification yeah yeah, 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 yeah. a candy man is so focused on on gentrification which is that intersection between between race and class right mm-hmm. um so i'm re- that makes me really excited for how that might show up in marvels because that's not something yeah. that I think any MCU movie has done well. Look at systems. Yeah. I first of all, I love that you're making a comparison to Candyman right now. Like and like and it's great. Like I think that that it's very accurate what you're what you're saying. That's about, the through line. That's the connection between yeah. Nia DaCosta's vision and these two very different films. Yeah. And I think I think that's totally awesome and and totally true. And I agree. Like I think that I think it's very cool that the MCU is like, while we didn't love Eternals, I love that they take like an indie director like uh, Chloe Z- Zhao? Zhao? Sure. Um, I can't remember. Who did Eternals. But then like they see something in the work that Nia DaCosta's done. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we want to bring some of that flair into the MCU. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm hopeful that they're able to kind of have a little bit of that through line. But I hope... I mean, and this is the thing that the conversation that's been had about the new Doctor Strange and Eternals, that it feels like those two filmmakers, like Sam Raimi and Chloe Zhao's visions in a stranglehold. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's 
it's like they they just aren't letting them fly enough. There's little flares of each of them, but they're mm. bound by the MCU. So I'm both excited and nervous. Yep, um, that's fair. But that was something that I found really moving and reflective and important about this movie, even more so at this particular juncture in time with, um, you know, really important conversations and really scary happenings around women's rights in the States that, mm -hmm. you know, will have ripple effects elsewhere. Um, and, you know, this film is not brand new and I, and I didn't even, I wasn't even totally, I didn't know what this movie was about at all. It was just like Tessa Thompson's in it <laughs> yeah. and Nia had directed it and it has a decent rating. Mm -hmm. um, now Tessa Thompson and Lily James are fantastic in it. Oh, yeah. They ground the film so beautifully. Their relationship is so complex and beautiful. I, I, I loved it. I wasn't really aware of her until we watched Pam and Tommy. Mm -hmm. She's good in that. I have really complicated feelings about Pam and Tommy from an ethical standpoint, but mm -hmm. Lily James did a great job. Um, yeah. So really this feels like an important movie. It makes me excited to still continue to continue to be excited about what Nia DaCosta is going to do yeah. and how she grounds her movies in like the reality of the intricate and complex and f seemingly inescapable systems that exist and yet does ground them with hope and emotion and like how people can survive and fight within these systems, even if they can't beat the systems. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think you said it, I think you said it earlier. Like I like being able to use the vehicle of genre to get these messages about systems and mm -hmm. real world things across. Um, like I've spoken about how I love how horror can do that. Mm -hmm. But if, yeah, if we're able Nieta DaCosta has now done that through Candyman. And yeah, if she's able to do it through very movie? accessible superhero movies. I'm all in. Awesome. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Now this one last thing. Uh, IMDb Trivia told me that this was originally envisioned as a modernization of Othello. I didn't mm. really remember Othello. I studied it in grade 12. So I read the Wikipedia page of it and I don't get it. I don't get how this is about Othello at all. I mean... You're you're definitely I'm deferring to you, the English teacher in this one. I have no context. So if anybody, Othello. yeah, if anybody's very aware of Othello and has also seen Little Woods and can tell me how the heck <laughs> <laughs> really interested, because I'm like, A, this didn't seem like a tragedy to me. Um I mean, I guess Othello's uh Othello and Desdemona and these characters are Ollie and Deb, but yeah, I don't know if maybe it was like envisioned as Othello and then they were like, just kidding. But then they kept the names. I don't know. All right. Uh, but anyway, besides the point, not that interesting except to me. How did this movie make you feel? Empathetic. Mm, I put the same thing. Oh, nice. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So neat. Just for like all people from all walks of life in, in different situations and different backgrounds. Like I just, I, I think that recognizing as you did, like we come from a very privileged position in the world um but being able to like recognize being able to recognize that about ourselves and that like not everybody lives the lives that we do mm -hmm. um and i i recognize and i see that there's a lot of people out there in different situations and i, I just want the best for everybody yeah I, I agree this this movie made me feel so much empathy for both ollie and deb and their very unique situations and and even empathy for like how particularly Deb complicates Ollie's life. Mm -hmm. um, it made me sad at the state of the world because it made me reflective about like what hasn't changed since this movie's made, what has changed for the worst since this movie has been made. Yeah. But it also gave me this like small, small, small 
sliver of hope about and like beauty about how people support each other through the state of the world, like despite the state of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was a really beautiful film uh, and and just makes me, again, like after I saw Candyman, excited to see what else Nia DaCosta does. I feel like one day she's going to make a movie that's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's it's not this yeah. one and it's not Candyman, even though I really liked both of them. And I don't know that it'll be Marvel's, but I think one day Nia DaCosta is going to make a movie that just totally floors me. I agree. And uh, much like our last movie, this movie also made me excited for Thor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I forgot. Um, yeah. the Like the one shot of Valkyrie in uh, the Thor Love and Thunder trailer. I'm like, I like that pretty lady. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty lady in a so suit. <laughs> witty. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's move on to the last film. Last movie of the week is my mystery movie pick. And hot off of some of the conversations we had in previous episode, I chose the movie Uncut Gems. Neither of us have seen it. It came out in 2019. It's directed by the Safdie brothers, Josh Josh and Benny. It was written by Ronald Bronstein as well as the Safdie brothers. And it stars Adam Sandler, who plays Howard, Julia Fox as Julia, Lakeith Stanfield as Damani, and Adele Dazeem. (laughs) And Dina Menzel. (laughs) As Dinah. Uh, the synopsis for this one, with his debts mounting and angry collectors closing in, a fast-talking New York City jeweler risks everything in hope of staying afloat and alive. Ooh. Ooh. So, yeah, I, I picked this one because we watched Good Time, which was the first Safdie Brothers that film that we watched. And I think it's their only other feature. No, they have a ton. Oh, a do ton. they? Do they really? Yeah, like a ton, a ton. I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Um, But, yeah, we've talked about this, and, like, this was still – we discussed after watching good time where we still interested in wanting to watch uncut gems. And I was, I, I was, I was curious about it and I know that's like a lot of people love it and it's a 24. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> um, but what'd you think of uncut gems? Ooh boy. <laughs> this gave me so much anxiety. The Safdie brothers definitely have a genre and it's just like anxiety, anxiety. It gave, yeah. It was just as anxiety inducing as good time, but in a different way. This one is so much about money anxiety and like money makes me so, so ang- like I, I'm a person with anxiety mm-hmm. and money is one of my like primary anxiety triggers. Well, it doesn't help to watch something like that while we're in the middle of a movie, <laughs> yeah, which, which costs is, a yeah, lot of money. Money is a topic on my mind lately. Um, so, yeah, I just felt like not heart pumping in the way that like drive was. It was just like. I feel like, yeah, you you said this with Good Time. It felt like a panic attack on film. This mm-hmm. also felt like a panic attack on film, but just a different kind of panic attack. Yeah. Oh, these guys. Yeah. I mean, if it's obviously their jam. Like, that's the kind of well, tone they like to have. They're doing it masterfully. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't. It's kind of like, you know, we love horror movies. We love violent horror movies. And some people are just like, yeah, that's just not for me. And I'm like, fair. I'm like, I don't know that this is for me, but I totally get why people like this is their, they love this. Yeah. Oh, it made me feel just like so icky is not the right word. Just like really. Upset. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I felt like I was in a spiral. Yeah. Like the word that I, I picked was chaotic. Like. Oh, yeah. This is more chaotic than good time. Good time's chaotic, too. And I think that through the chaos, like 
the way that they're able to achieve this feeling of chaos and anxiety is just through the pacing of the movie. Yeah. Like it's very like, it's very like boom, 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 boom. But also through the cinematography, like framing, like they they do like they'll like punch in real close and then they'll, they'll pull out for a wider scene and then punch in real close to like kind of bring you into the perspective of whatever character we're doing that with. Um, but also just like the main thing for me that creates that is the dialogue delivery. So like, I, I think that this might do it and I'm, I'm curious what you think about this. This might do it more for me where I come from a household where like everybody talks, like one person talks and then the next person talks and the next person talks. But I feel like when I'm with your family, (laughs) which you have three other siblings and then your mom like, and then all the significant others, although they usually don't participate in this. But like, I remember when I, you and I first started dating, we'd get we, like going to family gatherings, like everybody's kind of talking over each other and like interrupting <laughs> each other. And that's just a dynamic I was never exposed to growing up. So like, I, I, I'm curious if this made you feel like less anxious than I did. <laughs> just mm, because you're, but I think the money part made me probably more anxious than it did you. Because mm, yeah. like I just, I do struggle with anxiety and then money is one of my like main anxieties that I struggle with um but that part yeah I felt like I was able to follow that just fine because you're right and you're not the first or last or only person to ever say like wow being with the Burtons is (laughs) something um and I think it's hilarious that like most of our significant others just kind of like sit back and just like let it wash over them um yeah yeah, at one point you said like this movie would be so difficult without subtitles because people are talking over each other the whole time. And that was something like so good time. I feel like the anxiety is really created through this like constant forward movement. Mm-hmm. Like we're just like moving, moving, moving. And this felt more like instead of moving from one space to another very quickly, it felt like many different things coming into one space. Mm-hmm. Like one thing happens in a space and then another thing happens while the other thing is still happening and then a third Mm, thing happens while that thing's still happening instead of moving from a thing that's happened forward into another thing that happens which is Mm -hmm. what good time was doing such that we're in one space with all these overlapping chaotic things happening at once yeah Yeah. which was so intense it's like you're already feeling overwhelmed by what's going on and then another thing is heaped on and then another thing is heaped on until you're like i don't know if i can bear this that's yeah, I think that's it's that's a really interesting point and really true. Like I feel like another through you saying that another thing that adds to the chaos and the anxiety of this is the sound design because mm. I feel like where that first con- say like the first conversation starts and then we shift to another space where another conversation is happening, that first conversation might fade to the background. But they just keep that but full it's still volume happening. <laughs> and just start the new conversation yeah. and they're both yeah, happening concurrently and it just yeah it melts your brain yeah i feel i feel like that's maybe where your brain is like where do i focus on and i i could focus mm. a little bit more just because that's that is what i grew up with oh it's tearing me apart <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's not like i liked it and like that isn't my life as much well i guess as a teacher yeah it kind of is mm. i'm dealing with a lot of things happening at the same time yeah, all yeah. the time and you yeah and you're generally just better at managing that kind of stuff like if if when we're in a public place <laughs> oh, this goodness, has come up yeah. so much like uh, usually you'll just stop trying to talk to me because if there's something going on or if there's a lot of like visual stimuli going on, like I am just drawn to that and I'll focus on that. 
and yeah and i i can't focus on if you're tell if you're starting to talk about something no. i i have a hard time dropping my attention yeah. on the first thing bringing it to whereas i can you. keep my pulse on all of these different things happening at once now i'm not saying i like it yeah like even when we're in those spaces i'm often like if we're out like west edmonton mall whoa this is west edmonton mall on film <laughs> um, west edmonton mall on like a saturday yeah <laughs> at christmas yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um that's a perfect analogy <laughs> yep where like I am distracted by this thing happening and this thing happening and this thing happening. But I do have a pulse on all of those things happening. Whereas you, it's like you enter a whirlpool where you like can't, you cannot focus on all of those things. Yeah. And so you hyper focus on one or you can't focus on anything. Yeah. Whereas I'm, I'm also deeply upset, but my mind is ping ponging between all of these different things such that I have a pulse on all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I would say that was happening here too. I didn't like it, but I could do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the feeling, but I could ha- handle the feeling. I just didn't like it. You didn't like it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was intense. And yeah, another thing that I'll say is like I think that Adam Sandler did a really good job here, but mm-hmm. I don't really like Adam Sandler, <laughs> so I just kind of pictured him as John Tutoro the whole time because <laughs> I like John Tutoro better. But I don't think you're supposed to like Howard. No, uh, just like you're not supposed no. to like Connie in Good Time. Yeah, like so. I so I want to read a very very short thing from the AV Club review of Uncut Gems. They gave it an A minus. It was A.A. A. Dowd who sadly is no longer with AV Club because AV Club sucks. <laughs> um. And he said that the Adam Sandler's best movies aren't movies that cast him against type, even when the genre is different. So cast against type is what he said. And then, quote, instead, they tend to be the ones that take the essential qualities of his comic shtick and somehow deepen them. The films that turn the very concept of an Adam Sandler comedy on its ear. And Howard isn't so different in basic profile from some of the other id-driven clowns on Sandler's resume. He's obnoxious, immature, prone to fits of rage and pleasure alike, a Sandler Sandler misfit all the way. So yeah, there's basically totally saying he, he is Adam Sandler from all of his other films. It's the genre that's changed. Yeah. And they've just chosen to heighten the same things that he's always been doing mm-hmm. in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I'm with you. I'm not. I mean, I really liked Big Daddy growing up, but otherwise I'm. I've I've never really like I've always been rubbed the wrong way by Adam Sandler a little bit mm-hmm. like his films just haven't I wasn't a Bill, Billy Madison yep. Happy Gilmore like I wasn't into those movies I didn't love Click I have seen it um, and and so that makes sense here that like he continues to rub me the wrong way but I think he's supposed to yeah oh no big time um, something I was kind of thinking about is like I feel like his character of Howie is always talking. Yeah. In this yes. Movie. Whether it's like out loud vocally or through text or mm. whatever. Like I feel like he's always talking. It's always go, go, go with him. But his is verbal, whereas Connie Nikas in Good Time is um physical. Yeah. He's always moving. Yes. And this is he's always talking. Yeah. Which is yeah, like that's that's an interesting way to think of it too. Like the Safety brothers like their main character to always be move to always move as a part of that chaos. Yeah, and it's <laughs> so Howard is magnetic too mm-hmm. in a different way than Connie. And there's something fundamentally unhateable about him, I think. There's something that the Safety brothers did in both of their films where both of these men actually reflect some of the best and worst parts of my dad to me. And I know mm-hmm. you never met my dad um before his death, but 
my dad was a profoundly magnetic, likable person who also just had some terribly selfish, immature qualities to him. Mm. And it was so hard to, I remember saying once to a friend when, when my dad had disappointed me yet again, and I just being like, I can't see him because I'll forgive him when I see him. And I don't want to forgive him mm. because he is not going to do the work to earn my forgiveness or be accountable. But as soon as I see him, he's just so likable. He's so lovable. He's so warm that I'm going to forgive him in the moment. And then I'm going to go back and be by myself and be, and not forgive him again. But when I'm in his presence, I'll forgive him. Right. And I feel like these two characters are like that. Mm -hmm. Like both Connie Nikas in Good Time and um, Howard Ratner's as the same. I think so. In this one, we're like, it's hard to hate them even as you're so frustrated mm -hmm. with the terrible choices they make that are intrinsic to who they are and they're not going to change. Yeah. And that, I, I think it's tough for me to watch these characters that feel like my dad where I'm like, this is him. This, 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 my dad is not Howard or Connie, but that combination of like magnetism, warmth, likability with immaturity, unaccountability and like, a fundamental inability to change or desire to change. But in this like immature way, which I think is different than the relationship you have with your dad. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's actually really tough for me to watch these characters. I, I get it. Cause I mean, yeah, like in a different way, I saw shades of my dad mm -hmm. in this character through yeah, what you describe as like kind of that, like selfish, just, focus i'm only focusing on what i want to do when i want to do it kind mm -hmm. of way there but, were yeah. i can't i you know i can't talk about it specifically without spoiling the film and you and i can talk about it after but there were like moments that literally felt reflective of like actual real moments in my life with my dad where i was mm. like i i feel like through howard i'm seeing how my dad's mind worked in those moments and i don't like it it makes me uh, real sad yeah yeah specifically Howard, like moments with Howard and his kids where I'm just like, you're not thinking about your kids at all when you make this choice that's about you. Like it's just, yeah. it's, and it's not because you don't care about them. They're just not in your mind at all. And I feel like that was my dad where he, it's not that he didn't love us. And when we were front and center, we mattered. But as soon as we weren't there, it was about him. Mm. And we weren't even a thought in his mind as he made choices that would affect us. Uh. It's sad. Oh, yeah, that got sad and heavy. I'm that, sorry. That's tough. But no, like I, I get it. Like, I mean, I get it in the sense of like, I see what you're talking about in terms of how, uh, like the decisions that Howard was making, like, especially like anytime he's talking to somebody and it's seemingly selfless, it, it's, it's all, not. it's all for it's the all benefit for him. of him. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I can. But I, I do like, I think the Safdies managed to imbue their protagonists in the two films we've seen with a lot of humanity while demonstrating that their actions are not okay. Mm -hmm. It's, and I know we, I think when we watched Good Time, I kind of compared it to Sean Baker as well with this like, I, I think the Safdies want us to see the faults in their characters, but I also don't think they want us to hate them. Yeah. And there's a discomfort in that. Like, it's like we want to just hate a guy like Howard. But, like, they're asking us to think about the the really faulted human here. Yes. Who is a human. And we have to see that. Um, and I think there's something really admirable. Like, Uncut Gems made me appreciate the Safties more, I will say. Yeah. 
I still don't think they're my favorite filmmakers and I don't think these movies are my favorite movies and maybe it's because they bring up such uncomfortable feelings for me about like my dad mm-hmm. but uh what they're doing is really impressive yeah well and I'm glad that Adam Sandler did a good job here because it was just announced that the next yeah. brothers movie is gonna be with him with Adam Sandler so and the ending yeah Jeebus. you like audibly gasped <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't happen to me a lot Oh, yeah. This movie was just a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, how did it make you feel? It made me feel so upset. <laughs> like, so anxious, so upset. So like, unable to catch my breath, which, yeah. like, wow. I mean, if a movie can make you feel something like that, that's amazing. I don't think I liked it. Like, I, I, not I didn't like the movie. I, I did like the movie. I didn't like the feeling that the movie made me feel. Yeah, I, I have here. I liked it, but I hated it. <laughs> yeah. I felt the same way about Good Time, right? Like I, I did really like it, but oh my goodness, did I not like it? Yeah, I, I'm with you. Which I think is how we're supposed to feel about the protagonists. I, I like them, but I don't like them. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm impressed with what they're doing. What they're doing is impressive. Yeah. They're very talented. Much like I gushed about the performances Ari Aster is able to get out of his lead characters mm. in his movies, mm-hmm. the Safdie brothers are able to get something very special and unique out of their leads in the, in the, two, in the two movies we've seen anyway. And we didn't really talk about like Keith Stanfield, but I'm all in for anything he's into. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's great. Um, he was, he was another reason why I wanted to watch mm-hmm. this. I didn't know he was in it and I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Well, well with that, all of that said and done, it's that time. It is time. It's time to figure out who is a bad daddy and who, well, I guess not a daddy, who's just a baddie dad and who's a ratty dad. Yeah. I feel like we might have some overlap this week. But I think so too. But then as we were talking about this, I was like, ooh, maybe I should pick someone else. Ooh, you're going to shift. I'm not going to shift. I'm going to stick with who I thought, but somebody else came into my mind as we were talking. All right. Well, I'll, I'll share my bad dad pick. Sure. Um, I went with Howard Adam Sandler from Uncut Okay, Jazz. I did too. I yeah, did yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for all of the reasons that we just talked about. Um, but yeah, like the core of it for me is that he's a selfish man. Yeah. Like no matter how much the things he says are like for his family or that it, they're in service of somebody else, that's never the case. It's always self-serving. It's always about him. And what's gonna benefit him in the end of it, and that's just that makes for such a terrible dad. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the, that's just never somebody. I mean, to a degree, I've had that dad. Yeah, me too. And it sucks. Yeah. So, yeah, no. the the bad parts of our dads. Yes. they aren't all bad. Yes, but that, th- these yeah, are those bad exactly. parts reflected. I agree. I thought stuck in his habits, even when he sees how his habits are hurting other people incredibly selfish incredibly unaccountable an ego that makes his choices worse mm-hmm. um and impulsive yeah like an impulsivity that just um that paired with the ego and the lack of accountability is just flat out dangerous yeah that's the word i was going to use totally dangerous yeah so the other uh, as we were talking i was like oh standard from drive is not a particularly good dad either but i do think he I don't. I think Howard loves his kids too. Mm-hmm. The really interesting moment with his daughter in the in the film, where I'm like, I think he does care about his kids, um, but I think standard standard is maybe somebody that almost is more like in Little Woods, where his um his choices are only as good as his options. Oh, spe- speaking of 
you mentioned that we were going to talk about Luke Kirby in Little Woods. I didn't oh, know what you were talking about. Rectify. Oh, He's from Rectify, right, one right, of our right. absolute favorite TV shows of all time. And if you haven't seen Rectify, I highly recommend. It used to be on Netflix. Not sure if it is anymore. No, I mean, just buy it. It's, it's so, so good. good. So beautiful. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I just, I wanted to, I wanted to bring that back. Bring that, I just remembered it. We're doing it in a messy way, but we're doing it. Oh yeah. A couple <laughs> sloppy bees. Um, so yeah. Okay. So we agree. Howard Ratner, Adam Sandler's Howard Ratner from Uncut Gems. Kindly stick, stick it. it. All right. Who's your rad dad nominee? My rad dad nominee is Tessa Thompson's Ollie. Yeah, I knew it. I knew we would <laughs> Man, have Man, yeah, we are just... This makes it so easy. It does make it easy. <laughs> I don't know if it makes it uh, less interesting for all of you listening, but uh does make it easy. Yeah. Um, so the reason I picked Tessa Thompson's Ollie, other than she's a very pretty lady, is that she's committed to bettering herself. Mm-hmm. She's mindful of others around her. She does not give up on you. Yes. Even when she wants to. Um, she's firm, but she knows when that firmness needs to melt into kindness and she's a fighter and she'll mm. fight for you. I like that. The firmness. She is firm. Turns into kindness. You yeah. need, I feel like you need supportive people in your life, whether they're, you know, as we say, dad is a, as an energy, not a gender. And we can have people who, who are dad like figures who are our friends, who are part of our friend group, um, yeah. who are mentors you know, we find your dads where you can. I'm all about. Um, we've collected dads who, you know, in, in all all parts of our life. And I feel like you need a firmness. You need a willingness to be like, no, you need to know this. But when that person can see that they're they've pushed a little too hard, that 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 can move into kindness. And I think that Ollie does that beautifully. Yeah. I, the way that you said um, we've collected dads makes me think we should make bad dad, rad dad trading cards. <laughs> <laughs> we should. It makes me think of Last of Us 2. We should make like Pokemon cards, but they're bad dad, rad dad. Yeah, like I'm thinking Last of Us 2, you know how you pick up all those cards and there's like villains and there's heroes. Ooh. We should do that. <laughs> merch, merch, merch. Um, yeah, I agree with everything that you said. But um, and an- another piece to that, too, is just like her willingness to sacrifice, sometimes to her own yeah. detriment, but like her willingness to go to go and do what's done in service of her family and her loved ones mm-hmm. and you know and and to dish out that tough love mm-hmm. if if she needs to i i think that that's just like to be honest and i think that that's just some core rad dad stuff right there yeah so, i'm glad you saw her as the rad dad too because i felt pretty strongly about it i was like going through all these movies i'm like who is rad from like uncut gems and from <laughs> um <laughs> I, I mean, Indina Menzel seems like she's a she is a rad. But th- this is something that came up when we were doing everything ever all at once. Is I didn't want to name Evelyn as the rad dad because she's a rad mom, and I don't want to take her momness away from her. Ah, uh, yes, right. I and and I feel like Tessa. I feel like Ollie has more dad energy than mom energy. Yes. So you know, sometimes I'm I'm being mindful of that. I don't want to take the. You know, as we record on Mother's Day, mm-hmm. I don't want to take the importance of motherhood away from those characters. And like, if if I had to name a rad mom, I'd Evelyn, Evelyn for sure. <laughs> Evelyn Michelle Yeoh is just the best of the entire world. Let's just be honest. All right, so Evelyn Michelle Yeoh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Be, be our, our mom. mom. <laughs> um, and Tessa Thompson, Ollie from Little Woods. Be, be our, our dad. dad. <laughs> God, that'd be a rad set of parents. Yeah, I'll take it. All right, so Kylie, why don't you kind of break down the rad rack for us here? <laughs> okay, so we've been wanting for a couple of weeks to talk about something that's really near and dear to our hearts, but 
we also want it to align with the movies we watched and just to to feel more connected. It just and, hasn't yet. And it hasn't yet. So we're going to stop promising what what day this conversation is going to happen on and we're just going to let it happen when it feels right and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll then at that point tell you that this was the thing we've been talking about. Yeah. Um and something that feels more connected both to the movies we watched this week and our current happenings in our lives as we are preparing to move out of this home that at one point we thought would be the home for the rest of our lives and that's been an emotional journey. Um, when we when we record next week's episode, it'll be the last day in our current yeah. our current home, and we probably won't be there that day. We're going to be living with uh, my rad mom, who is very graciously allowing us to live with her for a week in between our houses. Um, so there's a lot going on. It's a it's a exciting, sad, intense, busy, chaotic time in our lives right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our rad wreck of the week is to name your feelings, mm-hmm. which is a really hard thing to do. We love talking about feelings, clearly. <laughs> it's not always easy to talk about feelings, but we think it's important. Yeah. So this actually comes by way of our three-year-old niece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her rad mom, my sister, um, who is working hard and beautifully so to teach her daughters, her two daughters, how to even, you know, at three three years old and, and half a year old, that it's, you know, talking about our feelings is something we can and, and should where possible do. Yep. And so uh, what she's kind of, what has come out of this is our three-year-old niece will, will say she just feels a little bit something because of something. Mm-hmm. Her, the kind of template that has accidentally appeared in our three-year-old niece's um, way of speaking. And it started off with like the first time we heard her use that formula we kind of started using it jokingly with each other, but we're like, oh, this is actually a very great way to frame your emotions in any scenario. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful template that we're going to share with you here. So it, the first time we heard this was at Christmas when our niece uh, came over and she hadn't been to our house a lot and hadn't seen us a lot because, you know, it's the pandemic. And um, I think she was a little, really overwhelmed in, in, like, in a good way. And so I, I brought her down to our basement to show her Funko Pops because I thought she'd think that was cool. And she was getting really quiet. And so I just said, hey, are you okay? And she said, I'm just a little bit shy because I need to go upstairs. <laughs> and I was like, all right, buddy. Let's do it. Let's go upstairs. <laughs> yeah. And then and we got upstairs and she wasn't, she, she was, she got a little bit more energetic again. And I just thought, holy crap, that's beautiful. I wish I could say I'm feeling this way because of this. Yeah. And, um, you know, she's <laughs> one of the funniest ones. And I've, I just think this is so, so hilarious is at an appointment. Um, her mom was talking to the to the person they were at the appointment with. And it was taking a while. And she said, I'm just I'm feeling a little bit frustrated because this is taking too long. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it started as a joke where I think one of the moments was we we had a bunch of errands to run. We went to go fill our propane tank and they were out of propane. <laughs> We went to the grocery store, the thing we needed they didn't have or something like that. And I could just feel your like energy shifting. And I said, what's up? And you said, I'm just feeling a little bit frustrated because nowhere has what we need. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that helped me understand that none of this was about you or me. It was just you were feeling a legitimate sense of frustration because of the events going on. And, And so 
it was kind of jokey there. But since then, that's, you know, I'll say like, I'm feeling a little bit anxious because of this thing going on or. I, I recently used it in my like monthly review at work. <laughs> like I, I was given this new goal I need to shoot towards. And I, I told my boss, I'm just like, you know, I'm feeling a little bit nervous because I haven't done something like this before, but I'm also excited because it affords me a new opportunity, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But, and it could, it could totally be a positive thing too, right? Like I am feeling really happy because you bought hot dog fingers. <laughs> yes. True story. Yes. Um, so it, this thing that our three-year-old niece just naturally does, well, not naturally, this thing that our three-year-old niece does in her own way because of my sister's commitment to giving her a language and space to talk about her feelings, which I think is so beautiful. And happy Mother's Day to my sisters and my mom and your mom, mm -hmm. who is also my mom in a different way, um, and all of the moms. And all of the people who have difficult relationships with their moms or their moms aren't here anymore. Um, or if mom is just an energy. Mom is an energy, not a gender. Not a gender. Um, yeah. You know, I because of that, because of that beautiful work that my sister is doing in her mothering, it's given us a language and a template for how to, how to name our feelings when it's hard to. Um, and a little bit of levity in that because it's when we do it. It's like, okay, it, it's like, it's like calling a timeout almost like, hey, you're, you're doing the work to name your feelings. Mm -hmm. um, and now I'm going to, I'm going to take the time to hear you. So if you are looking for a template to name your feelings, I'm just feeling a little bit blank because blank. It's great. It's Try so, it out. It's so simple, so accessible. And like I was saying, I was saying to you the other day, I'm just like, I feel like as we get older and become adults communication becomes more complex and complicated mm -hmm. and harder to do. That's why I feel so many adults are so piss poor at communicating. <laughs> We've my, been there too. Myself included. Yeah. Like I, I'm no pro at communication. Um, but sometimes you just need to use three-year-old logic <laughs> to express your feelings. And if you're just feeling a little bit shy because you need to go upstairs, just tell somebody and guess what? You'll probably get to go upstairs. Yeah. And then if somebody like if if you say that to somebody and they just excuse you and don't listen to you or acknowledge your feelings, maybe not somebody you want to hang out around <laughs> totally, with very much. Totally. So yeah, rad wreck of the week. Name your feelings if you can. Um, and and we have that little template to help you do it if it's something you want to try. It's been it's actually been amazingly helpful to us. Yeah. Um, and it's been something that has come up a lot in this really heavy week of feelings as we feelings and, and things we have to do as we yeah. uh prepare to to leave this home we've been in for two years and and start a new chapter so yeah yeah that about does it yeah all right let's move into the wrap-up um i'm feeling a little bit sad because once this episode's done we have to start packing again <laughs> <laughs> i am also feeling a little bit sad about that but i'm also feeling happy because uh i really enjoyed this conversation with you and uh, oh thank you and, Me I wanna, too. and i want to thank all of you out there for listening um we drop a new episode every thursday and would love for you to tune in every time that we drop one you can follow us and slide into our dms over on instagram at baddad.raddad we also got a sick new Twitter at Bad Dad Rad Dad um, in hopes of having Elijah Wood on the show. So, <laughs> you know, if you are Elijah Wood or know Elijah Wood, please hit us up. Um, you can also get a sneak peek at what we've been watching over on our individual letterboxed accounts. Our usernames are Elliot Cuss and Kylie Burton. We would also absolutely love you forever if you could please drop us a rating or a really kind review like we mentioned off the top of this episode 
over on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you're listening from. But uh, yeah, thanks again. And that's going to do it for this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.